First Corinthians thirteen. Hope you enjoy the songs of God. They're a powerful thing. The singers in the Bible were appointed by God as a ministry. I tell the choir this. It's a ministry. It's important. Down through the history of Christendom, there have been a lot of people have been converted just from hearing the songs of God. They've been the agency by which truth has been taken to the heart and people believed on the Lord. And uh, thank God for it. I appreciate everyone who participates and, and makes it not only uh, a good thing within our church, but enjoyable to work with you. And thank you for all who've been working, not only with the music coordination that I received, but as, as I've uh, stepped into taking the choir, I've enjoyed working with the choir members. And uh, I told them Wednesday, as I was a voice of one crying in the wilderness for a little bit, trying to get their attention so we could practice, I raised my voice up and got their attention. I said, I finally realized why you see conductors and such have the baton. That's for whacking members to get their attention. It's a little musical insight I've learned by doing what I'm doing right now. I want to speak to you this evening on the subject of the context of charity. The context of charity. The word context means the, uh, uh, where something is found in relationship to other parts that affect it. Uh, we often will say maybe somebody will say something and they won't exactly misquote someone but they'll take their statement out of context. In other words, you just take a certain number of words or part of a sentence or something, and it's not attached to what else was said. You get a different meaning than you would if it was attached to the whole picture of what was said. And um, we know what that means. It's taking something out of context. To put something in context is the fact it fits in where it's supposed to be. And uh, it, it, goes, it goes into the place in life where it's supposed to be. And uh, much sin, not all sin, but much sin is things taken out of context. You can do that. Uh, physical relationship that's blessed by God to marriage is sinful when it's taken out of the context of marriage. Uh, there's so much that is this way in life. And so uh, there's a context to charity. And uh, I, want to, uh, I want to give you that this evening and it, it'll help us to understand the importance of it. Uh, in our lives. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 13 and let's enjoy this chapter together. I'll read it aloud. Would you please follow diligently? Not a time to be talking to your neighbor. That would not only be disrespectful both to the reading of the Word of God and the house of God, but also distracting to someone else. So let's listen carefully as the reading's going on. 1 Corinthians 13 says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, 
hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass, darkly. But then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know also even, uh, I know even also as I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. I chose the title, the context of charity, because of the two verses that bracket this particular chapter. Um, look at the end of chapter 12, and the last verse there in chapter 12. Verse 31 says, But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet I show unto you a more excellent way. Look in chapter 14 and verse 1. Follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that you may prophesy. These two, uh, these two verses bracket the chapter. The writings, which were in 1 Corinthians 13, even though we understand the chapters would not have been there sometimes in history, those were added later on and such, yet that writing was there in that order. And so what we know is 1 Corinthians 12, verse 31, did precede everything that's clearly taught as a distinct teaching in 1 Corinthians 13. And then 1 Corinthians 14, 1 begins with looking back at what has come in 1 Corinthians 13. 12, 31, again, of course, it says that we are to covet earnestly the best gifts, but God said, I'll show you a more excellent way. Then 14.1 begins and says, follow after charity. And so you have these things. I want you to notice these two words, especially at the end of uh, verse 31. Maybe you want to mark it in your Bible, but notice the word way. Way. That's a, that's a pattern of behavior. That's, the, uh, that's a manner in which people do things. Not just an individual act, but how they have a habit of doing things. Then in verse uh, uh, 14, verse 1, Notice the two words, follow after. Follow after. You're following after. You're seeking to, you're seeking to emulate. You're seeking to uh, follow the pattern of something. You're trying to do this in the way that has been shown to you. So before the chapter on charity, it talks about a more excellent way. Here's a more excellent manner of living. Here's a more excellent way of everything in your life being affected. And 14.1 looks back at it and says, follow after charity. What you just learned in, 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 the, in this chapter, what you just learned in these verses, this is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to follow after this. This is your pursuit. This is where you're trying to go. This is who you're trying to be. This is the character you're trying to establish with it. With that in mind, you have to understand something. 1 Corinthians was given by God uh, not, not to put forth a philosophical ideal. Tell you what I mean by that. 1 Corinthians 13 was not to put some lofty ideal of what the best of human behavior would be up here 
and show us what that could be like. That is not what, the way it was designed. That's not what it's for. 1 Corinthians 13 in this chapter dealing with charity, the love of God in us working towards others always is in context with relationship. And that charity that's in us, why it was given for, is to direct our behavior. In other words, charity is a manner of living, not something we say, well, that's the way we ought to behave. It's not how we feel about something. It's how we do. It's how we conduct ourselves. And the Bible says that we're, all things are to be done with charity. In fact, the exact phrasing of that verse, let all thy things be done with charity. <laughs> There's a little phrase that's popular nowadays. I'm not for or again in any way. It's just one of those phrases. Different phrases come along. If you like language, it's, you kind of get amused at the different ones. And certainly, they come and go. But right now, somebody, when they're trying to ask if something's real or legitimate, here's the phrase you hear a lot. Is that a thing? I mean, you've heard that say. I mean, you said that saying. I have. Is that a thing? What are we talking about? Well, can I ask you in your life regarding charity, is that a thing? Let all thy things be done with charity. It is not something given out here and say, okay, if you have the best of the best of a person, here's what they could be like. No, God said, this is what we are to live like with one another. Uh, anybody notice that uh, we, we each come with our own sets of flaws? You like that word quirk? You ever hear that? Got your own quirks? I like that word. Quirk is a quirky word, isn't it? It's weird. Um, we've got them, don't we? Certain ways of doing things. Those aren't so bad, but we do have reason we, we collide with each other at times. The Bible says for us to operate, whether it be in the context of a family or context of a church or a workplace, a community, whatever it may be, all thy things, they have to be done with charity. And in fact, it's charity that gives us the opportunity to let the gospel be clearly heard, to give us the opportunity to be able to help other people with it. And uh, it's given to direct our living. I feel too many times we read 13, chapter 13, trying to work out a definition of charity. Exactly what it is. We're trying to identify it. Okay, here are characteristics of it. And we're looking for, okay, how can I identify it? How can I put, a, how can I put a, a, some kind of an explanation on it? That's not why the chapter is given. The chapter is given for our behavior. The Bible is supposed to change our behavior patterns. If we claim to be Christians, if we believe this is the Word of God, then this book, we are to submit to this book willingly. Not because we're forced or coerced to, but willingly. And this book is supposed to change the way we actually act towards one another. I want you to consider some things with this thing about the context of charity. First of all, look at verses 1 through 3. Here you have the statement that made, if he could speak with the tongues of men of angels, that'd be something, wouldn't it? Tongues of men be, know a lot of different languages. I don't know what all the tongues of angels are. Perhaps it's the eloquence of the, of the angels. I'm not sure about that. 
But here's the thing about it. He said, if I could do it, and he said, if I did that but didn't have charity, I could be the most eloquent person you ever met. I could have the best uh, tools of persuasiveness through, through language that you've ever encountered. But he said, if I don't have charity with it, look what he says he becomes. A sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Making pretty sounds, but you're not doing anything. It's interesting because neither a sounding brass, by definition of what that is, nor a tinkling cymbal, they're not even things that call people to battle. The Bible talks about, we'll run into it in chapter 14, if, if a trumpet gives not a certain sound, how, who shall pre- prepare himself for the battle? There has to be very clear you know, understanding. Here's what we do. Here's where we're going. And so, without charity, this is why I call the accounting of charity. My best abilities in these areas are they're just pretty noise. I love the statement that uh, Charles Spurgeon made regarding preaching. He said uh, to his preachers in his college, he said, a business as important as ours, in a business as important as ours, talking about preaching, he said, we cannot afford to, to utter pretty nothings. Isn't that a great phrase? Pretty nothings. Uh, words are well constituted, but you're not saying anything. And so the accounting of charity is, without it, becomes hollow, becomes empty. Look what else in verse 2. He talks about having gift of prophecy. He talks about understanding mysteries. He talks about knowledge. He talks about being able to remove mountains by faith. These are all great things. And then he says, if I don't have charity, I am nothing. Nothing. Wait a minute. You're exerting influence. You're, you're, you're doing great things. He said, but without charity, I'm nothing because what's the purpose of doing these things if it doesn't show charity? What is the purpose of it? Why? It's not accomplishing what God's purpose is. Jesus put it out very clearly. He said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, that you have love one to another. And when that's missing, because charity's missing, then there's just nothing there. Then look verse 3. He talks about bestowing all his goods to feed the poor. That's talking about giving away his properties and selling them perhaps. That's talking about the things that he would need for comfort of life. He said, if I, if I did that to feed the poor and, and made sure that they were cared for. He said, if I gave my body to be burned. In other words, if he was willing to even be martyred for it. And he said, and if I have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. He said, because I can go through all those actions and not have any charity at all. In fact, a person can be generous and be avaricious at the same time. A person could be generous and they can feed their pride. They want to tell people what they did. They want to be known as a giving person. They want people to know that they've helped somebody out. They want to be able to do that. And yet, it's not from charity. And we misuse the word, don't we? Because we think of charities. And they just had the charity newsies in town. And they were standing along the... The road there, trying to raise money for whatever they're trying to raise money for. And we talk about giving to charities. That's one use of the word, but it's too shallow for the Bible definition of it. And so what happens, he says, he says, if I do this, I'm not, so that's the accounting of charity. I'm talking about changing our behavior pattern. In other words, in the accounting of charity, we don't want our actions and how great we think they are or those things to cover up an absence of actual charity. Which is marked by one of the things is humility. It vaunteth not itself, it's not puffed up. 
It's marked by the approach to things. And uh, we we need God's help in these. Then I saw the actions of charity. Look at 4 through 7. Let's see what charity does. We found out what charity doesn't and uh, what goes on with that. But what does charity do? Look at what it does. First issue there has to do with something that's common in humanity. What's it talk about in verse 4? What's the first thing it runs into? Suffering. Charity suffered long. That means that it is it doesn't wear out easily. It, uh, it it stays the course. It's not fragile. True charity is not a fragile thing. Truly having charity does not make us fragile by any means. But charity suffereth long. And then what's its disposition as it's suffering long? Kind. So it's consistently kind as it's suffering. That's pretty amazing. You say, man, that's hard to do. Certainly it is. You won't do it in the flesh and I won't do it in the flesh. We have to do it with the help of God. Charity suffered long and is kind. And then look at the next statement that's made there. Charity envieth not. The actions of charity can rejoice in the fact somebody else is blessed. It can rejoice in the fact that somebody else has something good. It can rejoice in the fact that somebody else is being helped. Look at the rest of them there and let them speak for themselves. Seeketh not, her, or excuse me, uh, uh, charity vaunteth not itself. I, I, I'm going to tell you, is it, it, not puffed up. And I think when you think of the word puffed up, you think about 1 Corinthians 3. When it talks about those Corinthian believers and the fact that they were carnal, though saved, living fleshly. And it said they were puffed up for one and against another. Um, I, I'll, I'll be honest with you. There's a, uh, we're reaping the whirlwind in Bible-believing churches of having... Uh, People vaunted, having pride, and people puffed up over one another, um, making idols of people, making uh, the issue of what person or what people or what group you like or don't like. And uh, some of you have not been exposed to much of that, and thank God for it. As your pastor, I've tried to keep it out of here and uh, not bring it in, even selective as to who I bring in, so I don't bring that in. Um, and even have, uh, even have ceased to have people because they started bringing it in. So I'm serious about it not being here, but I will promise you that many churches have been destroyed over it because they get vaunting themselves. That's not charity. Charity doesn't try to vaunt itself. It's trying to do something for somebody else. (laughs) Then look what else it does. Verse 5, doth not behave itself unseemly. It's not out of the way. It's not edgy and questionable. Unseemly, it's it's not out of order for someone who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ. (laughs) There was a fellow that... um, my wife and I were talking to, and we were at a little restaurant up in Canal Winchester a few weeks ago, and this fellow heard something I said or to her or something, turned around and just engaged us in conversation. 
If you've ever been up there at the little restaurant, the Wigwam, that's kind of the nature of the place. You know, it's a true diner, and you know, that's the way it is. Folks talk to each other. So he was, he was talking to me, he found out that I knew Alan and, and you know, kind of picked his interest because Alan talks to everybody. Alan's a fellow who was here with us. And, uh, and so he got talking to us and he was, uh, then when we were eating and a couple other fellows sat down, he turned and was talking to them. This fellow had long been done with his meal, but he just visited an older gentleman. And uh, I could hear what they were saying. My wife and I were talking. And he said... Uh, he was talking to them and he was kind of getting on this little, this little tangent or chair about Christians not really being Christian and churches not really being churches. And, uh, well, I went, I went to eat. I don't get into all that. And uh, so he was talking to them anyway. Two or three sentences after saying that, he's interlacing what he thinks about certain political things with curse words. And... Uh, the irony of it couldn't bypass me, you know. Christians don't act like Christians. They're not real Christians. Most people who say they're Christians aren't real Christians. And it goes to the political realm. He feels free just to curse about it. We can do a lot better than that. As God's people, we can be a lot more like our Savior than that. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And so that may not be the particular area that we fail in, but whatever the area is that we struggle and fail in, we can do a lot better and part of it's just with charity. Learning to let the love of God flow through us to other people. To behave ourselves in a way that is consistent with the love of God. When I preach a message like this, I think of things in my own behavior patterns. I think of things that I've done that bring me conviction as I'm preaching to you. I really do. Honestly. So I would ask you the courtesy, please get our conviction out there also. All right, Join me in it. Get serious thought to it. Because this is important. Because charity isn't an ideological display. Charity has to do with our living. I show you a more excellent way. Follow after charity. The context of charity is behavior. Not what we profess, but what we actually live. And may our profession be backed up with the actual actions of things. I wrote this statement down when I was thinking about the actions of charity and we could go on with those things. That it rejoices not in, well, uh, verse 5, does not behave itself unseemly, does not seek her own, is not easily provoked. May God help us on that. Thinketh no evil. Not only not thinking wickedness, evil, evil and wicked are not the same word. Evil can deal with moral corruption and, and, and wickedness. And evil can also deal with damage that comes for one reason or another. And thinketh no evil does not only mean that we do not devise evil, that we do not set ourselves to evil, but thinketh no evil also means that we don't arrive at a conclusion that others are trying to do evil to us. I'm not talking about the naivety of, of looking and, and, uh, and ignoring, obviously, if someone's trying to damage you and not paying attention to the real circumstances, but to assume wrong motive. I wonder how many arguments we've had just because we assumed the motive of the other person and assumed a wrong motive. May God help us. I need help in this area. I don't know if you all do, but I certainly do. And I know there's a lack of charity in me when I need help in it. Why? Because what happens is charity 
thinketh no evil. That's quite a statement, isn't it? That's a, that's a behavior pattern. Then look what it says. It rejoices. It rejoiceth not in iniquity. It doesn't get its fun out of perverted entertainment. It doesn't find humorous what God condemns as unholy. More moral compromise is done in the hearts and minds of God's people through the avenue of humor than we can even imagine. But it, what does it do? It rejoices not in iniquity. I'm not glad about iniquity. Not happy about it. But rejoices in the truth. It beareth all things. I tell you again, charity gives you strength. Um, something that I noticed the pattern of in my early Bible college days, and I in the last three or four years especially have had renewed in my understanding in these further years of being in the ministry for a lot of years, I noticed a pattern that sometimes the people who claim to take the greatest stand, claim to be the strongest, claim to be the most separated, claim to be whatever, describing themselves as rock rib, this, that, and the other, all their little phraseologies. Sometimes when the real pressures come, they just don't stand. That's because all that hype is not strength. Charity is strength. It is not weakness to love someone else with God's love. Was Christ unmanly when He said to Judas who came to betray Him, Friend, betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? Was Christ unmanly when He yielded His own rights as it were for the good of others? That's the strongest form of manhood. It's the greatest strength. May God help us to have it. What is this? These are the actions of charity. Not just an ideal, but actions. What happens with it? I wrote this statement down regarding this, and I hope you'll listen carefully. The reason many people think the Bible does not have the answer for them and their situation is because they have never truly committed themselves to actually doing what the Bible says. I'll read it again. The reason many people think the Bible does not have the answer for them in their situation, and they may not give voice to it because that would be irreverent to do, but inside they think that. Well, works for others, won't work for me. Is because they have never truly committed themselves to actually doing what the Bible says. They know the Bible says husbands love your wives, even as Christ loved the church, but they think that a lack of abuse or a lack of uh, physical neglect in the sense of not taking care of them is love, and it isn't. It's one small aspect of love. Love is not passive. Is it aggressive? It's not aggressive either. Love is active. Most famous verse about love in the Bible. For God so what? Loved the world that He what? You better believe it. 
And you give to the object of your love that which the object of your love needs for their betterment, for their strength, and for their uh, growth. A parent that loves their children, actually loves their children, will not give them everything that they want because sometimes the children want things that are not best. But they will give that child what they actually need. Sometimes the need is correction. Sometimes it needs instruction. Sometimes it needs comfort. There's a lot of different things and we need God's wisdom to make sure we do the right thing. But that's how love acts. And so we say, well, I believe the Bible. Okay. Gentlemen, do we actually look at the same for to love our wives as Christ loved the church? Or do we think that somehow what we see as flaws or inadequacies in our wives exempts us from our duty? These are strong statements, strong questions. But there's a decision point of if we're going to live the Christian life or just admire it as a good idea. And I submit to you tonight that 1 Corinthians 13 is given for behavior, not for a philosophical ideal. The reason many people think the Bible does not have the answer for them in their situation is because they have never truly committed themselves to actually doing what the Bible says. They say, well, I know the Bible teaches whatever the subject may be. I know what it teaches, but are you doing that? Well, no, I'm not doing that. Then how can you ever say that God's power is not available? How can you ever say that it's past hope because you're not doing that which you know to do? Very basic. It's very basic. May God help us to do the things we should. So we have the accounting of charity, we have the action of charity, and then we have the adulthood of charity. Look in verse 11. When I was a child, there were three different things he did. He spake as a child. Makes sense. I enjoy our young people in our church. And a lot of times they'll want to tell me about things. When they're very small, sometimes I have to set very focused to catch what they're saying. You say, can't you hear them? No, my hearing's not impaired. My understanding is. All children at a very young age, each of them speaks their very own dialect. <laughs> um, I hear, you know, people come in from different countries and they say, well, we have one main language, but we have 30 different dialects and some of those dialects cannot understand each other. That's exactly how I am sometimes with the kiddos. And uh, yet I want to hear them. want to hear what they have to say. I spake as a child. And there's a lot of other things about childish speech. Then he said, I understood as a child. Why did he speak as a child? It's because his understanding was as a child. Because of a child's understanding, he had a child's speech. And there's no problem with that when you're a child. That's perfectly right, normal, and good. And then he said, I thought as a child. His understanding caused a pattern of thinking that was expressed in the speaking. In other words, everything about this perception of the world around him and how he communicated with that world around him was driven by the fact it was a child. <laughs> a person in our church, had, uh, I believe it very much has a heart for the Lord some while back, was early in their Christianity and their Christian understanding. And I remember they, they went to talk to me about a certain thing. And they were trying to figure out, they were witness to somebody. Somebody had made a statement to him. They were witnessing this person. And 
they had done what you do when you're first starting out with your understanding of the Scripture. They had a complete all or nothing. If this person wasn't right on this particular doctrine, until they got right on that doctrine, they couldn't get saved. (laughs) And uh, they said, well, it says here. And I said, let me show you what it says in context. And so we went through and there you could see, oh, I'm like, who actually saves somebody? That's Jesus. Okay. Can you actually learn and inculcate Christian doctrine properly as you should without the Spirit of God in you? Well, no, you, you, don't, you never get it right, okay? Then you're expecting an unsaved person to completely assimilate doctrine before they know the one who gives the doctrine. The, the whole Bible is, is interpreted in the context of the person of Jesus Christ. And it was interesting because they go, oh, you could see it. They were thinking through it. It's like, oh. Later on, we were talking about another situation a few weeks later, and they said, I, I don't think they get this, but I just stuck with telling them about who Jesus was and what he did and what he accomplished and why he came. And I said, you're getting it. You're getting it. Why? Because what happened was they understood as a child, in this case, a child in the faith, although they were not a child chronologically. They understood. And because of their understanding, they thought a certain way. And because of their thinking, they spoke a certain way. I remember dealing with someone once a few years ago, and they were very early on in trying to witness people. And it took a little while for them to get convinced that someone did not have to be able to to understand or try to comprehend the doctrine of the Trinity in order to get saved. And I said, look, man, I have never met anybody who completely comprehends it. I said, well, what if they're... No, no, no. Talk to him about who Jesus Christ is, that He is God in the flesh, that He did give Himself. Is He the means of our righteousness? Keep this thing simple. And so what happens with this thing, there's a, there's an, an, a, a uh, adulthood of, child, uh, of, of charity. Look at the rest of it. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, guess what He did He put away childish things. Lauren, I'm going to put you on the spot. Um, How often do you have to clean up G.I. Joes that Luke's been playing with in the living room? (laughs) Never? That'd be once or twice a week. I'm not going to ask about Legos. I think Legos have no time limitation. He didn't didn't do that. Wifey? When the, uh, uh, the kids were little, they're good about you making sure they tidied up after themselves. But did you ever have to pick up G.I. Joe's? And, yeah. <laughs> you, you don't play with G.I. Joe's anymore? Unfortunately huh? not. Unfortunately not. <laughs> I remember as each of the boys... There were certain things. They didn't despise them. They didn't say, oh, who was I playing with that? It was just time to set that aside. In your childhood and following the Lord, and you understand we're supposed to remain as a child, not childish, but childlike in our innocence and our love and that sort of thing. Don't despise those early beginnings. But there's a time to set that aside and move on to manhood. 
There's a time to set that aside and become an adult in the Lord. There is adult level work that needs, needs done for the cause of Christ and for the Gospel's sake. Some people who can handle responsibility and have some endurance. Who can have some wisdom and judgment as they deal with people. Um, and we need to grow into that adulthood. The conversation we had earlier, Caleb, and I give it away, but the young men you were talking about being able to try to give the gospel witness to, I made the same case. That's one of the things about witnessing. It makes you start growing up in the Scripture because you get hit with questions you don't have an answer to. They bring something up you didn't think of. It, makes you, it takes you to the Scripture so that you may help more. Why is it? You're, you're picking up manhood things and putting down childhood things with it. Um, adulthood, it said, when I became a man, it's not a chronological attainment. In our country, they say, you're an adult when you're 18 years old. Well, I know some people that miss that by 50 years. <laughs> I understand, I really do. I think in any society, you have to have an age of majority that has been around literally forever. And there's reasons for that in the legal realm, responsibility realm and so I'm not saying oh that doesn't need to exist it has to be there for a structure of a framework of society to work properly and uh, there may be debate as to what age it is but there's some point where people have to say okay you're of this age you're accountable at this level and there has to be some kind of general mark for that but I think we all understand that turning 18 doesn't make someone an adult Notice in the verse, he said, when I became a man, notice I put away childish things. He had to put it away. And adulthood is not a chronological attainment. It's willing and diligent acceptance of the responsibilities of manhood. I'm going to accept what is my responsibility. We need to be far more concerned with our responsibilities than our rights. And let our tenacious hold on our rights grow from an acceptance of responsibility. As we see the fact we need to, we need to fulfill our responsibilities, then we can stand and say, I claim my rights because of the responsibility that I've exhibited. What is this? This is called the adulthood of charity. Charity is a sign of someone growing up. In the most basic form, it can say to somebody else, no, you can have your way. I defer to you. I want to do what's best for you. Contrasted with that is that it's mine, it's mine, mine, me first. I get to go first. And God said there's an adulthood, there's a manhood that comes with charity. Doing things in a godly way. And then... Let me finish tonight talking about the context of charity. The way at the end of chapter 12. A more excellent way. Follow after. The first two words starting out chapter 14. In that context, not of an ideological uh, 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 pinnacle we're trying to reach, but of behavior. I want to show you tonight. It's going to be a blessing today. I want to show you the ascendancy of charity. Look how much better it is than even some things that are just... Um, phenomenal in God's economy for lack of a stronger word for it. Look in verse 8. 
What a statement. The first three words, the, the pronunciation about charity. Charity never what? Wow. You would never go wrong by being charitable. Charity never faileth. There's no time, age, space, dispensation where it's not a primary thing. Charity never faileth. Whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. If nothing else, they come to a fulfillment. You understand that context of it? They failed. There's, there's an end to it. There's an end to it. <laughs> Do you realize that there comes a time when everything that's prophesied in the Bible will come to pass? But charity continues on. Charity never faileth. Whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. The most eloquent orators at some point will not be able to speak. The ways of communicating things change. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. We hold to it so much, don't we? Um, we, we, we we're so impressed with their knowledge. But it vanish away. It's there and it's gone. <laughs> Why? Verse 9. For we know in part. I don't care what you know a lot about. And some of you know a lot about some things. Some of you know a pretty good amount about many things. Some of you are very knowledgeable in certain areas. But all of us, we know in part. That's why you can keep growing. That's why you keep learning. That's why one thing that may seem a certitude today, you may have evidence that causes you to say, ah, I'm not sure. And you may even change your opinion on some things later. Why? Because we know in part. We know in part. We prophesy in part. When we speak is, is, is incomplete. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. Look at verse 12. I'm talking about the ascendancy. How much better charity is than everything else. For now, we see through a glass darkly. We can see through it, but we don't see distinctly. We can see through it, but we don't see a clear-cut image. We see through a glass darkly, but then face to face, nothing between. Nothing between. I like that song. Nothing between my soul and the Savior. But then shall I know even as also I am known. That's a powerful verse. That's a powerful sentence. I will know in the same context in the way that I am known. God knows me. He knows my thoughts better than I do. The Bible, the Bible actually uh, interprets my thoughts. When the Bible talks about the Word of God as quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, it's a divider. The thoughts and intents of the heart. When you really get in the Bible, it'll start showing you things about you that you don't know about you. It'll reveal things to you. It'll open you up and show what's actually going on. It'll reveal to you and, and bring you out of an area of self-delusion to let you see things real. And all of a sudden, it'll make things open when you get honest and want to come to the Bible and learn something from it. When you hunger for the Bible, when you hunger to know the God of the Bible, you will come at times to the Scripture and you'll read something that will pierce you. It will show you that your motives are not what you think they've been. It will show you that you're not where you thought you were. And though it's painful, we should be glad about that. 
And he said there, I shall know, I shall know even as also I am known. And then look at verse 13, the great culmination of it. But now abideth. There's some things that abide, that stay. I'm glad for it. Now abideth faith. What a tremendous thing that is and how much the Bible talks about that. Hope. That's a wonderful, wonderful subject in the Bible. Charity. Those three all abide. But wait a minute. Just like it was said of David's mighty men that there were ones who were greater and others that, that appertained not unto the first three. Now abideth faith, hope, charity. These three. But the greatest of these, think about it, church. Greater than faith. Greater than faith. Greater than hope. The greatest of these is charity. The context of charity is it is a more excellent way because when you exercise charity, you're exercising something that's greater than faith. The context of charity says follow after charity because you are following, choosing to walk in the pathway and the footsteps of charity. And that's greater than faith. That's greater than hope. It has the endurance of the very person of God in it. For God is love. And when that God who is love is working through us towards others, it's described in the Bible as charity. There's a context to it. Many people, many people think that somehow the Bible does not have answers for them. Simply because they have never committed themselves actually doing what the Bible says. The most fundamental of things, they bypass looking for an answer. They bypass looking for what's next. They bypass looking for some solution. When what we are supposed to do is let all our things be done with charity. Let me pray with you tonight. Father, thank you for your words. It's amazing, Lord, to me how a passage like this can convict so deeply and comfort so thoroughly at the same time. Lord, I don't know about all those who've heard me tonight. I really do want to follow after charity and uh, to walk that more excellent way. I confess to you before this congregation, Lord, that I've got to have direct help from your Spirit to do it. Lord, I'd... Uh, I'd like to know more of the fullness of this. And so I open myself to you, Lord, to show me what the very next thing is, what particular I need to open before you. And Lord, you're welcome to be in my life. You're welcome to direct me through your word. And I pray you'll bless your people. May they have an open and willing heart. May we learn to be a people of charity so we can walk with you and honor you in the way we do things and be like you. Um, to live consistently with you living inside of us. God, help us to have a hunger for you. May that be expressed in our actions, please. Amen. Let's stand together, please. If some of you tonight at this altar, you ought to come talk to the Lord.